Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Capitalize for Kids podcast. This week, we are joined by the chair and founder of Bell Let's Talk, Miss Mary Deacon. Listen, there are very few, if any, people who have had a greater impact on the Canadian mental health landscape than Mary, and it was an absolute treat to be able to speak with her. Uh, in the course of the conversation, we cover a ton of ground uh, in the episode from you know her impressive career as a, as a fundraiser to the motivation behind uh, the causes that she chooses to support uh, and the origin story of, of Bell Let's Talk as well. Uh, a lot of great takeaways in this episode, so I hope you enjoy. Here it is, our conversation with Mary Deacon. The situation with COVID has had a very profound impact in all aspects of our lives, including our mental health. All the research shows that, you know, already, while we're even in the midst of it, there are significant mental health challenges that are both being magnified and created as, as a result of the situation we find ourselves in. I have heard people refer to what will happen when the actual pandemic itself is over, that there will actually be uh, a different kind of uh, crisis in mental health care, you know, in, in a system that was already very difficult to access in a timely way for people who needed service. There will now be many, many more people who need help. Um, and the system by and large will be better at doing remote service than they were before. But I'm not sure the overall capacity is going to have an increased. And that's, you know, the situation was already very challenging for people. I think it's going to be even more challenging. And for certain, um, the situation we find ourselves in is, has very much had an impact on how we have conceived of and created the Let's Talk Day for 2021. Uh, with a very important um, nuance, I would say, about now more than ever, right? Mental health is, in my opinion, a defining issue of our times. It's an issue whose time has come, without a doubt. Um, but now more than ever with COVID, um, and with the increased strain on our system, with the increased, you know, strain on the mental health care system and the consequences to people sort of struggling more than they may have before. People who may never have struggled before are struggling, let alone people who were struggling before. Um, so I, I, it is very much top of mind as we think about the Let's Talk Day for 2021 and to, to really weave in the implications of COVID to our lives, to our mental health. I'm going to put a pause there because I want to come back to exactly that point. But before I do, um, I would love to hear the origin story of Bell Let's Talk. Okay. And, and how, how that came to be. Because previous to that, I know that you were at, um, well, you were at CAMH and then the Wildlife, um, the World Wildlife Foundation Fund. Um, and then you went to Bell Let's Talk. So I'd love to hear the origin story of how that happened. So that, that's a that's a, uh, 
a very interesting story, uh, I think, and it's it's sort of a I think a, a a great example of you know the twists and turns that life takes, and you know where you think you're heading in one direction, and the next minute you see that you're heading in a completely other direction. Um, you know, my entire career has been built on doing things that are important to me that uh, from a social justice perspective. I, my first job ever was at, at World Wildlife Fund and I went there because I loved animals, right? I, I'm a conservationist at heart. I loved wildlife. And while I had absolutely no experience in fundraising, um, I wanted to make a, a difference, a contribution, and I learned as I went, right, in, in terms of how to be a, a good fundraiser. And when you're passionate about a cause, it's very, very easy thing to do, right? And so that rooted me at, at, at World Wildlife Fund for many years. Um, and I'll come back to this in a moment, but while I was at World Wildlife Fund, I, I had my first child, and two weeks later, my, my brother David died by suicide. Um, and that had a profound impact on my entire, the entire trajectory of my life and the life of everyone in my family. But shortly after David died, my sister Margie was diagnosed with MS. And so after I left World Wildlife Fund, I went to the MS Society because I now had a really strong reason to care about MS. And I was there for a number of years. And then I got a call from um, someone that I knew in the, in the fundraising world uh, who told me about the job at the inaugural president job at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health Foundation. So when it was just a newborn baby, right? The four organizations, the four founding partners of CAMH had just come together as part of a lot of hospital mergers that were going on at the time. And um, I was hired as the inaugural president of the foundation and inherited a completely blank piece of paper. Um, but I had a real passion for mental health because of my brother. And this profoundly impacted me in more ways than I could possibly explain. Um, and that really started me on what was my life's work. And, and if, if, so when you get the call from, from CAMH, nothing, it was a white, it was a blank canvas at that point. So what, what the, what do they say? What's the call? What did they say? Well, they told me that the, that, you know, the, the hospitals had merged. There was a new foundation created to support the new hospital, the, what was now called CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. And they wanted someone to lead the foundation, create it, build a strategy, the infrastructure, create it from a blank piece of paper. I rather think I'm the only person who applied for this job. 
And um, I felt quite uniquely qualified given my, you know, extensive experience as a, as a fundraiser, but also as somebody who had a deep personal connection to the cause. But I do rather think I was the only one who applied. I can tell you that, you know, going back then, uh, pre-2010, um, going to work at a, at a psychiatric hospital was not considered to be a good career move. And, you know, people who were at the top of the, the, the you know, the A-team in the philanthropy world were not clamoring at the door to take on that position. I, I was told it was a career ending move. It was, you know, it was a mistake, but I never followed the beaten path in, ever in my life. And, you know, I, I believed that it was important that mental health should be treated like a health issue, like every other health issue. It was worthy of philanthropic support. Um, and I was going to do everything I could to make that a reality. Um, and I never looked back. I never looked back. So that's how I ended up at CAMH. And then... Um, Where you did a fantastic job. Like, it shouldn't just be an and then. I mean, we, you, you obviously built one of the most notable foundations in Canada and North America with respect to the space, and they are now the leading mental health hospital in 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 Canada, if not North America. And yeah. and so, um, it, I just want you know, listeners should not think that it's just and then and then and then that happened. Um, that was a fantastic, like that was uh, incredible. I mean, um, and and I'm assuming that that informed much of the work that you you know went on to do at at, at Bella Talk, but. Um, Maybe if you can, if you can, yeah, and I probably cut you off there because I do wanted to make sure that you were giving credit because you're too humble and you wouldn't have done it yourself. But if you can tell me how, how Bella's talking to be. Oh, for sure. For sure. So it does tie into, into CAMH because when I was at CAMH, one of the things that I wanted to do was um, we wanted to build a new hospital, right? What you, what, what, people in Toronto see now as the campus at 1001 Queen Street did not exist. It was a, you know, assortment of buildings built in the 60s in the brutalist style of architecture that seemed like one something out of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And um, it's exactly what you would picture a, a, a psychiatric hospital to look like. Mm -hmm. The classic trope of a psychiatric hospital. Absolutely. And so one of the things we wanted to do and had to do was build a new hospital. And the foundation was charged with raising the money to fund the new hospital. And I was faced with a tremendous challenge because um, we needed to recruit and engage a whole new cohort of volunteers who would be willing to really lean in on mental health in a way that never had been done for mental health. It had been done for, for uh, the children's hospitals, the cancer hospitals, universities, arts institutions, many, many others, but had never been done for mental health. So 
I worked very, very hard with the team to, in, in effect, build a cabinet of, of people of, of influence um, with a great interest in mental health. Took some time um, to do that. Who would be willing to, you know, lead by example and encourage others to do the same? And I was very fortunate in that process um, to be at a lunch one day with the Honorable Michael Wilson, the most remarkable um, leader in mental health uh, this country has ever seen, um, and to work very closely with him. And uh, we went to lunch with these two people named George and Tammy Cope. And uh, through the course of the conversation, um, like many people, uh, discovered that they had an interest in mental health. You don't have to scratch the surface too, too hard to realize that everybody is connected. You know, the stats might be one in four, one in five have a mental illness, but five in five are affected one way, directly or indirectly. So it, it, it wasn't a stretch. And they both agreed to get engaged with the foundation. And there were many other wonderful leaders who agreed to do the same thing. And one of the things that I would do with my cabinet, George was on the cabinet, was I would relay my efforts and ultimately my epic failure in, 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 in um, encouraging or recruiting a Canadian company to adopt mental health as its cause of choice. Just like CIBC had adopted breast cancer. And I made a number of forays down different roads with some very large Canadian institutions and got ultimately at the end of the day, we did, they did not go forward. We'll just say that. And um, so I would recount these stories to the cabinet. And George, being the absolute brilliant man that he is, um, realized, believed what I said, which was there's a window of opportunity for a Canadian corporation to be a bold leader and really make a difference, to stand up, be brave, be bold, tackle probably, you know, the only very common health issue that no one wants to talk about. Um, and when the time was right, he invited me to come to Bell to, to work with him and the team and create what we now know of as Bell Let's Talk. So that was a pretty big move for me um, from having spent 25 years in the not-for-profit world to go into the, the, the for-profit world. But again, I never looked back. And, and you're, you're absolutely right in that it, it's interesting to, to hear this, you know, in hindsight, in that, you know, the, the institutions that you were, were close to getting to the finish line with, it's like, we look at that now, we're like, how silly of an opportunity to pass up. But at the time, and even though it's only like, you know, 10, 15 years ago at the time, mental health was not, it really did require someone quite courageous to, to, to attach themselves um, to such a cause that did have a stigma around it. Mm -hmm. um, 
which by the way, to go back to the honorable Michael Wilson is part and parcel as to why he is so like such an influential figure for a guy of that generation to attach himself so closely to a cause like mental health is, you know, like was maybe one of the most, uh, incredible moves. Um, and also the, one of the things that that perhaps moved the the um the conversation around mental health so far right that one his his one his involvement um and um but but then to to go back to to George Cope you know he had the foresight to see the value in in attaching to it and and aligning with with mental health um and so so did how did that play out then at the end was it okay so they agree to support chemh and then that happened and then you went over to Bellat's talk or where did it happen? Like, what was the series of events there and timing? So, so I went to, to, um, to Bell, um, to, you know, create what we know of as Bellat's talk. Um, we, Bellat's talk did one of our largest gifts. Um, and one of our earliest gifts was to the CAMH foundation. And we put uh, the Bell name on the Gateway Building, uh, which, as far as I know, was at that time and still is the uh, only company to put their name um, on a mental health hospital. Um, now, if you go down to the, 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 the campus there, there is many, you know, many uh, uh, people and, and foundations who have their names associated with the buildings. But I can actually tell you, a you know, I had conversations with many donors, you know, where is it at most places, naming, naming opportunities, recognition on bricks and mortar is something that donors appreciate. At CAMH, I had to beg people hmm. to allow us to do that. And when the tide turned, Again, it's it it was a huge change, a real paradigm shift, um, because now it's it's quite common, and that barrier of that concern, the stigma, um, the the barrier is much lower, and there's so much naming that is taking place at psychiatric hospitals all across the country, which I think is a very good thing as part of normalizing mental health. Absolutely, that's a really good point. That's, a, that's, a, that's uh, and, and not something that I, I've walked by that building. It's right down the street from me like a hundred times. And I've never really even thought about that um, from, from a, a branding standpoint of naming on the, on the buildings. That's wow. Mm -hmm. um, it, so, so then when you got to, to Bell and you, and, and you started the Bell at the talk campaign, um, what was the initial idea and like had, yeah, what was the initial idea? How did that, yeah, and uh, how, what was that rollout looking like? So so one of the first things I did, and based on having worked at CAMH for almost 10 years, I, I really knew um, many people, leaders in the mental health community in Canada, across the country. Um, I got to know them. And so one of the first things I did was do quite a comprehensive um, series of interviews with over a hundred people and organizations to to try and understand you know if there was a pot of gold somewhere and someone wanted to invest it in mental health where where could it have the biggest impact 
And I heard many different things from many different people, but there were two things that everyone had in common. One, stigma, and two, access, difficulty accessing services. So when thinking about the program design, it seemed self-evident that stigma and access needed to be two pillars. Um, we believed it was imperative I believed it was imperative that Bell lead by example in terms of its own leadership in workplace mental health. That became the third pillar. And research became the fourth pillar, you know, because there's so much that is not known about, about mental health. And one thing I find particularly interesting and I think emblematic of stigma um, is, you know, very early on. What, when we had chosen our four pillars and looking at the stigma pillar, we thought, okay, we need to really understand what would help to eradicate stigma. And so in talking to people that I knew in mental health, I was introduced to quite a marvelous woman named Dr. Heather Stewart. And Dr. Heather Stewart is a world-leading authority in mental health and anti-stigma research. She's at Queen's University. And so we proposed to create a chair that, that she would hold um, to really inform our work, but also to support her work in being a leading light um, in the area of mental health and stigma and what works to reduce stigma. And I'll tell you, you know, Evan, that, that it, is, it was and remains over 10 years later, the first and only chair in mental health and anti-stigma research, not in Ontario, not in Canada, but in the world. Now, when you consider that stigma is the reason the majority of people with mental health issues say they don't seek treatment. You would think understanding what would eradicate stigma and eliminate that single largest barrier to people seeking help would be a, a burning research question. And in a, in a world of, that is, you, you know, ubiquitous with, with, with chairs and everything, right? Not a one. So to me, this was a little em uh, emblematic of stigma in and of itself. And what a, we what been, a, yeah, that's right. What a bias. What a blind bias that, that, <laughs> wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. And, and, and her work and her partnership with us um, has really helped inform our efforts in, in anti-stigma because in the world of stigma, it is not uncommon for people to um, believe they're helping when they're hurting. There's a lot of complexity with stigma, self-stigma, institutional stigma, different kinds of stigma. And um, so it was imperative for me that we get it right. And you know, part of how, why it was so important that we get it right is and going back to, you know, Bell being that bold leader, um, 
you know, Bell, Bell has a very well-known, strong, powerful, respected brand in Canada. And Bell's intentionality in putting its brand beside mental health was to help legitimize mental health. And by putting the strength of the Bell brand behind uh, this cause. And so we had the capacity, and I make this joke, and George knows, so if he ever hears this, it's not the first time. Um, uh, several years after I joined Bell, um, Bell acquired uh, CTV, Bell, Me Bell Media. And I always would joke to him that it was very kind of him to buy Bell Media for me so that I would have a megaphone for, for mental health. <laughs> Um, and without a doubt, the, the, the ability to reach and touch and communicate, tell stories um, through Bell Let's Talk has been because of the strength of the Bell brand and, and the assets that we have that we can use to mobilize behind the mental health community to give them a voice that they never had. Wow. And has it has that's that's has it evolved um, how you thought of what I mean? You've now in in ten years raised over a hundred million dollars. You've you've been uh, it's one of the most moving and and successful, if not the most moving and successful uh, fundraising campaign, perhaps all time in in Canada. Um, and and so. I look to you and ask, like, what, how do you, how do you um, continue that focus for, for 10 years? And, and what does that focus look like now for the next 10, if you have a, a 10 year plan? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So one of the interesting things about Bell Let's Talk Day, which is coming up in January and January 28th, which will be the 11th Bell Let's Talk Day, which is frankly hard to believe, um, is Every time somebody engages, right, through calls, texts, and social media, Bell donates five more cents to mental health. So when you think about the over $100 million that we've invested, it is Bell's money that has been going into the community. So people participate in Bell Let's Talk Day, and then part of my job is to ensure that we... Uh, make investments across the four pillars in Canada aligned, you know, with, with the four pillars. And the more people participate, the more Bell donates. Um, and, and so there's, there's two good things that come out of it. You know, one is more money for mental health in Canada. That's a good thing. But the other really good thing is, you know, the permission it is it has given people to be open. It's the sharing of the me too, I know, you're not alone. Um, and voices from everywhere, from all parts of Canada, all walks of lives, all, all over the world, in fact. Um, that is, it's the, it's the permission giving and it's like, you're not alone. You know, I see you. And I hear you and you're not alone. And, and that, and listening, 
not just talking, but listening is sometimes will will be the first step towards someone um, getting some help, right? So, um, so when we started the initiative in, in 2010, yes, we had our four pillars, we had a strategy. We had a very clear strategy. Um, and, and, and a big focus of that strategy was tackling stigma through Bell Let's Talk Day. And over the 10 years, we did a lot of research and you, you, you referenced that, Evelyn, and that is we saw over the 10-year period that were, there were significant changes in attitudes and behaviors. One of the things that we heard, however, was talk is the first step. Now we need action, right? Um, and while talking is an action, after 10 years, when I stepped back and I looked at, the, you know, what we accomplished, where we'd invested, where I felt we had the biggest impacts, talked to the mental health community leaders, looked at, you know, what the future, what leaders were saying about, you know, future needs. Um, we revised our strategy and the vision for the next five years is a Canada where everyone can get the mental health support they need. Period. Now, now, that's not a vision we will achieve on our own, but I don't think anyone would, would disagree uh, that it's not a worthy aspiration for a country to have. And so our giving for the next five years, the orientation, still with the same four, four pillars, is with much greater focus on how to improve access to mental health and, and how, how the many different kinds of actions people can take to participate in the solution, right? I believe we all have a role to play, whether it's as an individual, you know, a community, a school, a workplace, the government. We all have a role to play. And if we all, and, and if we all play our role, we will move in that direction of creating a Canada where everyone can get the support they need. And so creating a Canada where everyone can get the support that they need. Um, it sounds like another job only suited for someone, a, a, an organization like Bell, where um, once again, you have the, the recognition and you have the megaphone to your point, because now it's and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you know what was was creating awareness and and conversation, and now it's kind of directing you know and 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 telling people where to go and which is still a, a very um, it's got to be a very different kind of messaging and communication from 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 your end, um, and so I guess my question is like is that is that uh, uh, is that something that 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 you you are going to be taking on yourself um, and working on day to day, or is that now a new set of partnerships for Bell that you're going to be working with um, at on the ground level? It's not all new. It's it's you know we we've supported well over six hundred organizations coast to coast to coast, um, large and small, 
uh, many of those players that we've invested in play a significant role in providing supports and services. An organization like Kids Hope Phone, for example, right? We're a founding partner of Kids Help Phone um, and have been a funder since the very beginning. Um, and that, so there are new players that are coming into the fold um, and new partners that we are working with, but it's, you know, the mental health community, um, we, we support many agencies and organizations, large and small, in the mental health community. And we're just continuing to add to that with our focus on, on a greater focus on access. And I'll give you a couple of interesting examples. So, for example, with, um, with the onset of COVID, you know, one of the first things we did um, in, in March was give out in very short order $5 million, a million dollars each to five organizations, Kids Help Phone being one of them, to provide immediate emergency support for those organizations to help them increase, uh, you know, be able to provide increased services and in some cases to transform their model of service to online, right? So it was right out of the gate, no questions asked, this is a crisis, here's money to, for you to work your way through this incredibly complex changing period of time, right? So that, that's one example. Another example is we made the decision in July as part of Bell's commitment to really step up and tackle, you know, systemic racism, uh, institutional bias um, in the areas of BIPOC communities, racialized communities. And, and we created a, a, a $5 million fund that we are working with organizations in BIPOC communities and funding BIPOC-led organizations. So organizations that are led by leaders, by people in the BIPOC communities, because who knows their, their needs better than they themselves. So we've embarked on this journey and, and well, there have been a number of partners we've supported um, that provide service to diverse communities. This is a very specific and focused effort to help form um, meaningful partnerships with many different kinds of organizations supporting um, BIPOC communities that may not have otherwise been organizations that would have applied. So I'll give you an example there. One of the things we did with the application process for the diversity fund was accept oral applications. Um, one of the things we did was we didn't limit gifts to charitable organizations. As long as you're a community organization on the front lines of making a difference in the lives of people, we'll support you. So you don't need charitable status. And, and if it is better for you to provide an oral submission, we, would, we, would we took oral submissions. 
I love that as like a way to kind of flip what, what are, what are we doing right now? That's discriminatory that we're not even aware of. And that might be one, that's such a brilliant move. That's such a brilliant move. Yes. And that's part of, you know, really helping to educate us, um, uh, on how to be better allies and what are the unique needs and how can we help organizations build on their assets? Um, and, and, you know, one of the things any partner of Bell Let's Talk would say to you is it's not a transactional thing. It's not like we give you money, you know, see you later. It's they become partners and we do so much a synergistic work uh, between organizations, between different parts of Bell with Bell Media, part of our Bell Let's Talk campaign, giving exposure and profile to organizations, you know, bringing our own internal leader, leader resources. You know, we have a number of our own Bell senior leaders who have joined boards of many uh, mental health organizations. So it's a very deep and rich partnership uh, that we develop with these organizations. So we're all in. That's fantastic. And uh, yeah, I would imagine, I would imagine that on the, the access to all, all Canadians, um, that the, the digital landscape is one that you're going to be exploring in a meaningful way. Uh, and, and to your point, that's probably been accelerated through, through COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we there? Like, I'm so, like, and, and you have a way better view on this, but like, are people comfortable talking, speaking with, um, uh, you know, mental health professionals on on the phone, over text, in in is it have to be a Zoom? Like where are we on that on that uh on that kind of lance on that um mm-hmm. spectrum? Yes. Well it's one of the interesting things with with COVID is we were forced to move in, at a rapid pace to virtual delivery. Organizations were forced. Uh the healthcare system, right? The government funded healthcare system was forced to change rules and, you know, break rules to allow virtual consultations, virtual visits between medical professionals and and patients. So it was a very rapid uh, change in, in, in dynamic. I think that will stay. And I think that's a really good thing. I don't think it will ever take the place of face to face, but as a companion, um, it's it's really great because in our country with the rural and remote populations we have, anything but anything other than a virtual delivery will not be workable, right? I mean, there's a so so that that is very important. We are seeing though, however, that um, you know many people who were already accessing the mental health system as a result of COVID are now unable to access the mental health system. Quite a significant portion of people, you know, because they can't go to their face-to-face uh, uh, services. They're, they're, can't see their doctors. They, they, you know, they may be challenged with the different modalities uh, that, are, that are coming into play. So many people with pre-existing mental health issues are finding it difficult to get service. Um, and of course, all the new people who are experiencing signs of depression and anxiety as a result of the stressors of COVID. 
you know, are in line with everyone else trying to get access to services. It's, um, yeah, it's certainly created a big, a big, um, not a demand problem, but the demand is, seems to be outstripping supply there. Uh, and, and that's something that we've, we've worked at a capitalist for kids, um, and, and focused a, a lot of our efforts on, um, but I, I would hope, I would hope that, um, that the digital piece solves some of that, that problem to your point, especially places where you, you can't otherwise get access to, to the help. Um, Mary, I, I, I want to spend time talking about you because all of this that we're talking about really stems from you. And so it, it's, um, you've, you've been, you know, recognized uh, in a number of ways, um, you know, to whether it's at your alma mater, I know you got a, a, a an honorary degree um, named to the honor of Canada as well. And, and obviously totally <laughs> very much deserved for the work that you've done in, in mental health. Um, but my question for you is like, when you're, when you're, when you do such a good job and it, and it obviously you do, and, and you're able to do so much in, and, and be so productive um, in terms of, of how much you move the needle for something like mental health. Is there, is there now ever a point where, like, what's the next challenge for you? And, 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 and how do you think about the next challenge? Are you scared? Like, are you, do you ever worry? Like, this is, this is a new challenge that I'm worried about succeeding in, or is it, I'm, I'm Mary Deacon. I can do, I'll succeed in everything. Like how, how do you digest that? So really, truly mental health is my life's work. Um, you know, I lost my brother, uh, David. He was a medical student at the university of Toronto. Um, a number of years later, when I worked at CAMH, I lost my other brother, uh, Ted, um, to mental illness and suicide. Um, and I've also lost a niece and a first cousin. So um, this is very, very close to home for me, very personal. But in the course of my work over all these years, 20 years now in mental health, um, I've heard so many stories, so many heartbreaking stories, right? Of people, families trying to find the front door on the system, trying to get support for themselves, a loved one. Sometimes, you know, um, tragic stories, you know, and sometimes the wait times, you know, it, 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 it might feel like a lifetime and it might cost a life these wait times. So, so um, my own experience has only been, um, you know, my, my own experience and my passion has only been redoubled by everything that I've heard from people um, across the country and around the world and their stories. Because ultimately all of this comes down to individuals and, you know, whether they have the opportunity you know, where, where in, a, in an environment where there isn't stigma, so they feel safe and okay reaching out for help, and that the help is available, and that it's quality service, the right kind of supports and services at the right time. And then that person is able to go on with their lives and achieve their full potential. And isn't that what we all want for everyone we love and care about? 
right? And so if you play it out from the young person who may be experiencing some challenges, who's able to get the right help, they stay in school, they develop meaningful relationships, they graduate, they start work, they start contributing to the economy, to the economic prosperity of the country, and to um, their communities, right? It, it's good for everyone. It's good for the individual, first and foremost, to, to have that full, happy, productive life. And it's good for every one of us in our country. It's, it's so clear what motivates you. Like it, it's, it's very, it's really, it's really impressive. Um, and obviously you have the personal motivation and your personal stories, but then also, as you mentioned, kind of the stories that you see from the people that you interact with, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's really just impressive to, to see. Um, I would, I would, I would then ask, you know, in what, like, what advice Mary, would you, would you position to others who um, are trying to, you know, make sense of, of their passion, what they're passionate about and, and, and blending it with their career? Cause it's something that you've clearly done so successfully. Um, so w what advice would you, would you give to, to people listening? I think the most valuable thing for me that I've learned in my career, in my life, is to follow your passion, right? To do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, the old adage, right? Um, and if you do that, you will get up every morning excited and motivated to go and do what, what is important to you. And you'll be contributing, um, you'll be earning a living, you'll be you know, getting that social contact and the social interaction, the human connection that's so important for us humans. Um, and so, but I think it all starts with passion. Um, I don't know that every young person grows up, you know, thinking that they can make their life choices based on their passion. I was very fortunate, you know, as a, a, as a young adult when I was in university, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I could not be further from being a veterinarian. But when I came to the conclusion that that was not going to happen, and it had something to do with a fetal pig, which we're not talking about, dissecting, okay? I talked to my father, and he said, you know what, Mary, take courses in university that interest you and inspire you. Because this is a time for you to expand your mind, be open, learn about the world, about different things. And, and, you know, equip you as a human to make a difference in the world. So explore your passions and interests and find new ones and, and use your time in that way um, so that you can come out the other end and, and, you know, really make a contribution. What a liberating thing to hear from your parents. This was a few years ago, right? So it was, uh, uh, I think, fairly progressive at that time. My father was had a similar kind of education, and his parents were very similar in having a very uh, Renaissance view of the world and a very wide-ranging set of interests. And it certainly, you know, relate. It was imbued in him, and he imbued it in 
you know, my family, my siblings and you know, my sister and my, my brothers and I, and it served me very well. Um, although, you know, the, the path has been very winding, but it is always, always, I've always had a clear, there's been a clear flashlight. I've had a flashlight the whole time because I was working from things that I were, was passionate about. So I, I was never looking into the dark. You know, the, probably my, my greatest regret, if, if, if I can put it that way, is that my parents weren't alive. Um, my mom died in 2010. My dad died a couple of years after that. And they weren't there to see the, the fruition of, you know, the, the tragedy. How, how the tragedy of our family was turned into something good and that's had a positive, lasting legacy. Yeah. That, that legacy also transcends to a lot of other families who perhaps had that same uh, yes. tragedy. Yeah, so that is absolutely true. You know, it is those stories that I hear from other people that, that keep me going every day um, because every story breaks my heart. Yeah. And I, I, you know, through Bell Let's Talk, um, we can we help through the funding that we do. Um, but I also try and help as many people as I can. In fact, yesterday I received a call from someone who I barely knew from, you know, somebody through somebody through somebody whose son is seriously struggling. He's an adult. She had no idea what to do. And I was able to, you know, give her some ideas, suggestions, and hopefully help her, you know, be able to help her adult child um, find his way through to a brighter future. And it's that, that's what keeps me going every day. Absolutely. Yeah. I would, I would having those, those one-on-one -on -one interactions would, would certainly yeah. be fuel. Yeah. And the, that education piece of, of it's, 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 that's what it is. You know, it's that um, inability of, of, of action, right? Not knowing what to do, that 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 lack of knowledge that as a parent, I imagine must be crippling. Um, you know, as a friend or a sibling, for me it's 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 terrible. Um so I can only imagine what a parent must go through uh when they when they feel that way. And so educating is is a big portion of this, which we didn't really touch on, but mm. but you know, I'm sure that yeah, that's that's a big piece. I would say you know, for everyone, for everyone who calls, for everybody who's saying, I don't know where to go, I don't know where to turn, what's the first step? The first step really should be your family doctor. So if I can provide one piece of practical advice, right, go to your family doctor, talk to your family doctor, because mental health is a health issue. If you had another kind of health issue, you would go to your family doctor. It's exactly the same thing. You know, whether the family, uh, family, family doctors in the country have the bandwidth or the capacity to, to provide the same service as they do in other parts of TBD, right? But the front door on the mental health system should be the same front door as on the health system. And if people can think about it that way, they will have their first step. Absolutely. So, so practical advice for everyone is 
family doctor first step. I love that. And as Howie Mandel always says, treat your mental health like your dental health. Have preventative care. Keep on top of it. On top of it. Don't wait until you have a toothache and your tooth needs to be pulled out. Go for your regular appointments, your checkups, your cleaning, right? Same with your mental health. There's lots of things we can all do to support mental health. We can see therapists. We can get fresh air and exercise. We can eat properly. We can drink in moderation. We can have very strong social connections. It's a real protector, right? It's a really protective factor in, in uh, good mental health. So there are lots of things we can do, and it's about being proactive, like going to the dentist and getting your teeth cleaned. Such a good point. Such a good point. Yeah, there's. I never thought that I would I would be um, talking to you and, and having Howie Mandel into the conversation, but <laughs> he's a wonderful, wonderful, kind and generous man. Yes, and funny. Advice. And funny. Yes, yeah. and funny. Absolutely. That sounds like great advice from from Howie. Um, well, I, I, you know, you've been part of two, probably two of the most of my favorite. Um, organizations being Bell Let's Talk CAMH, and then also um, the World Wildlife Fund. Um, I, I have a lot of love for their marketing um, efforts. They do the uh, adopt a, an animal, you can adopt a whale and get a cute. It's a brilliant marketing uh, and fundraising campaign. Yeah, um, that started when I was there. That started when I was there. Yeah. Of course it did, Mary. Of course yeah. it did, because yeah. you have your hands in all. Yeah, it started, all yeah, and in fact, the, the, uh, World Wildlife on Sea and Tower Climb started when I was there as well. Come on, really? Yeah, and I think it's one of only two organizations, the United Way and WWF, that have Sea and Tower Climbs. So, yeah. Wow. Wait, you know what? You don't ask, you don't get. That's that's right. That's right. Yeah, that, that those uh, stuff that that's one of my favorite Christmas gifts to give people is the uh, adopt a adopt a whale or polar bear or what have you. Yeah, that's uh, brilliant. I'm so happy yeah. to hear that you were involved there. Yeah. Time. That's awesome. That's all. Are there, are there any other, um, you know, we touched on a lot. Um, are, is there anything else that, that you'd like to leave our, our listeners with uh, today? Well, Bell Let's Talk Day, uh, the 11th anniversary of Bell Let's Talk Day is coming up on January 28th. And, you know, I would say now more than ever, Mental health matters now more than ever. Every action counts. And, and I really encourage you know, people to not only join the campaign and participate on the day, but think about other actions that you can take in your school, your workplace, you know, calling out stigma if you see it, um, finding out about the mental health resources in your workplace, um, seeing what is happening in, in, uh, you know, in, in your province with respect to services uh, uh, for young people, for, you know, for different sections of the, of the population um, and, and being an advocate for, for people with mental health issues to both support them on their journey, but also to help ensure that they have a voice, their voice is heard, and that we move towards uh, that system 
a country where everyone can get the help they need. It's not only about participating in Bell Let's Talk Day. Every day should be a mental health day. And the kind of actions we take as individuals um, and, and employers and employees and governments, together we will, we will make that vision a reality. And there you have it, our conversation with Mary Deacon. This episode was produced by the genius Eugene McCashew, and I am your host, Evan Sequera. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And if you did, and like to support the Capitalize for Kids podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, share, like, and post on your Twitter, LinkedIn, and other social media pages. As always, if you'd like to learn more about Capitalize for Kids and the work that we do in supporting children's mental health, please visit us at www.capitalizeforkids.com. And you can also find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. See you next time on the Capitalize for Kids podcast.